0: Entertainment.
1: Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles.
0: Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard, let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time, it's party time. we go. Touchdown!
1: You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week. And week one is here as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade continues. I'm Fran Duffy and as always I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 267. At the top of this week's show we've got Chalk Talk where I chat with Greg Cosell from NFL Films about the Eagles and their week one matchup against the Washington football team. It has been a long wait but we are finally here and I cannot wait to dive into this week's discussion with the start of the 2020 season and we're going to preview that game on both sides of the ball. Now. I know you're all excited and believe me, we are excited too. I caught you guys up a little bit during training camp, but in case you missed it, we are expanding. Remember that survey I asked you all to fill out last year, it was like last December? Well, hundreds of you graciously took the time to fill out that survey, and one of the things we gleaned from that is that you all want more, 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 and we are here to deliver. So, not only will we have this episode early in the week, every week, but I will be back later this week as well for a second show previewing this matchup with myself, Ben Fennel. We'll have an Eagles player on, other guests, and we, uh, you guys, are, if you're happy to hear this, you'll be excited for more episodes. If you're happy just for the season to be here, if you're excited for Greg Cosell to be back on a weekly basis. If you're happy about all of that, best way to show us your appreciation, throw us your support, go onto the Apple Podcast page, Stitcher, leave us a rating, and leave us a comment. If you have a question, I promise you that I will answer it here on the show, and I will be reminding you about this a little bit later, but I really appreciate everybody that takes the time to go on and do exactly that, especially now that we're just on the verge of the start of the 2020 season for the Philadelphia Eagles. All right, enough of that. Let's get into uh, some talk here. It's time for the 2020 season. We're talking Eagles-Washington. Let's dive into our chat now with Greg Cosell. Incha Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Excited to get things going here for week one of the 2020 NFL season. Greg Cosell, thanks so much for joining us once again here on Chalk Talk on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. A little bit different than we're, uh, than we're used to. Usually we're uh, in person, in the studio here at the Novacare Complex, obviously uh, with COVID-19 protocols being what they are. Uh, you are in your office at NFL Films. I'm sitting in the studio here uh, at the Novacare Complex. Greg, another
0: season, man. Hey, Fran, I'm just glad we're actually talking about playing football this weekend. You know, there was a time when I think both of us were uncertain as to whether that might happen.
1: No question. it's uh, It's been a long time, but we're all excited uh, to get things going here. Uh, and let's talk about this matchup. We've got week one, divisional matchup, Philadelphia Eagles taking on the Washington football team. and. I'm just thinking we'll kind of go down Washington's depth chart and just talk about the matchups here uh, as we get closer and closer to this game. And let's talk about the Washington quarterback, Dwayne Haskins, uh, entering his second year uh, as the starter. He was named officially the starter last week. What did you see from Haskins last year? I know it was definitely a rocky start, but I thought personally that he got a little bit better as the season went on. Uh, we have got to see him. Uh, a little bit late in the season, what was it, week 15, week 16 last year. Uh, Interesting to get your thoughts on Haskins and his development, what you've seen from him so far through one year.
0: Yeah, and I think that he clearly improved. It was incremental improvement, but I think when you talk about Haskins, you have to understand what kind of player that he is. Uh, he's essentially a pocket player. We know he lost some weight this offseason. And every quarterback has to have some movement ability, but I think his movement has to be within the pocket. He'll have to find ways to, to navigate within the pocket, climb the pocket, take a step or two to his right, to his left. He's not going to be a playmaker. He's not going to be a second reaction quarterback, which again, doesn't mean he'll never do that, but that won't be the way he'll be successful over time. Now, he's a very good thrower of the football, and he's a snap thrower. He's not really a torque thrower. He's not really a weight transfer thrower. He's kind of a snap thrower, Fran, but he's got a very, very good arm. And one kind of throw he can make really effectively is he has the ability to make what I call firm touch throws. So he can very often get the ball versus zone, for instance, over linebackers. He has a nice ability to do that. So he's a quarterback that clearly showed improvement a year ago. And I'll be very anxious. He's one of those young quarterbacks that I'm very anxious to see how he does this season. And and obviously uh, playing a tough division game against the Eagles is is a very good early test. Yeah, no
1: question. And also incorporating the new scheme, right? Right. Uh, Scott Turner uh, being named the offensive coordinator under Ron Rivera. Scott Turner we got to see in that role for the last few games down there in Carolina uh, after Ron Rivera was fired at the end of last season. Um, You know, one of the the things that's really stood out to me about watching that Carolina offense late in the season with Turner as the offensive coordinator – a lot of pre-snap motion, a lot of moving uh, their players around. They've got a couple satellite-type players down there in Carolina, namely, obviously, Christian McCaffrey, but also Curtis Samuel. I thought we saw some really creative motions and shifts using those guys, moving them around, moving them into the backfield and into the slot with a lot of jet sweep action. Kind of just that all that backfield stuff just to create some easy throws for Kyle Allen. I would anticipate that they'll, they'll do a lot of those things to create some easy layup throws for Dwayne Haskins as well.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that they focus on, and I think you're seeing this more and more in the league, Fran, is what we call pure progression. That's sort of the foundational approach of the Scott Turner offense. And by pure progression, we mean that you don't have to have a complete understanding of the defense. What you have to understand, obviously, is your route concept. So you have... uh, a primary a secondary and a third receiver and you drop back within the timing of the play and the concept if one is open you throw it. If one is not open, it's, it doesn't matter why he's not open. You don't have to understand all the nuances of the defense, but if one's not open, you go to two. If two's not open, you go to three. It, it's, it's sort of the, one of the terms I learned this off season Fred, from a lot of coaches. I talk to offensive coaches and I love this term is functional knowledge. You need yeah. to have a functional knowledge of the defense as it relates to what you're running. With your pass game concepts. And I think that's a foundation of what Scott Turner wants to do with Twain Haskins a lot of pure progression so that he just understands in detail his offense, his pass game concepts, and then can make the necessary throws.
1: Yeah, to me, uh, it's just going to be really interesting just to watch, you know, Haskins in the structure of that offense. We talked about some of the things we saw from them, but, you know, incorporating and we can kind of transition to some of the things they've got around Haskins as well. You know, you talk about those satellite players with Samuel and McCaffrey, I feel like they've got a few players that certainly can do some of those things in Washington. Obviously Terry McLaurin's a player we're going to talk about, but you know, you talk about Steven Sims in the slot. He's got some interesting traits. We saw him as an undrafted free agent as a rookie last year, but then also the third round pick in Antonio Gibson out of Memphis, who was essentially a slot receiver for Memphis last year. They, he played running back in the senior bowl. A lot of people viewed him as a potential running back because of his size and his athleticism. Uh, And now Washington He's going to play him uh, at, the running, at the running back spot with Adrian Peterson cut. Obviously, no Darius Geist there as well. He's going to be the front runner, I would think, for a, a lot of touches, meaningful touches, both in the run game and the pass game.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I saw him as a slot receiver, but obviously Washington views him as a running back. He's a big, powerful, explosive guy. He was one of my favorite players to watch on tape last year coming out of college. Uh, I watched all his pass targets. I watched some games. I've watched all his running plays. You know, he's close to 230 pounds and he's explosive, he's powerful, he's tough to tackle. I mean, I remember him in the wide receiver screen game, and I know you watched his tape as well, Fran, but he's a very, very difficult guy to tackle. But yet in the run game, he was very effective as well. I'm very curious to see the division of labor in their run game. Because, uh, you know, I, I don't know if they'll have one foundation back. I don't know whether if it will be Gibson. I don't know what, what Bryce Love will do. He's got some explosive traits as well. Um, so we'll see what Washington chooses to do. But Gibson is a dynamic, explosive player.
1: Yeah, and I think you look at a guy like Peyton Barber, right, who was a, an early down grinder type. I mean, he's got those physical qualities yeah. to be that type of player. I kind of feel like he can get uh, some meat of some carries and then has the ability uh, to be that guy early if they feel like, all right, Gibson will, will kind of grow into that role. But with all the motions, all the different things they yes. can do creati- uh, creatively, I do think that. It's going to be Gibson early on that will be kind of a, I don't want to say a game breaker, but has that potential in that offense.
0: Yeah. And the the other thing to keep in mind that Scott Turner is a big believer in, and it comes from his father for sure, is the play-action pass game. And I think you'll see a lot of the play-action pass game when you look at this Washington offense. And that's something that I think that uh, will definitely be a part of it. They're a big believer in throwing early and ideally being able to create big explosive plays early and then running the football. And we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, I think when you're talking about
1: big plays in the passing game for this team, I mean, we've
0: got to talk about Terry McLaren, Greg.
1: And I, and I know you went back, you studied all oh. of McLaurin's targets uh, from last year. I did the same about a week and a half ago. He had a really impressive rookie year, man, I've, you know, for, a lot of, you know, for a lot of reasons. I mean, you talk about the athleticism for sure, but his refinement as a route runner, uh, his ability to get in and out. He was great at the catch point. He made some outstanding catches at all three levels of the field last year. He's really, really impressive. He's going to be a high-volume target, I think, uh, in this offense.
0: I couldn't agree more. And I think uh, when you go back and watch all his, his uh, targets, as you did as well, you saw him run some outstanding routes against big-time corners to find Gilmore. Darius Slay, who could well be matching up to him man-to-man with the Eagles uh, in the game on Sunday. Um and the matchup with Slay was a really good one with each player making plays. It's the matchup you're likely to see. Um, I thought McLaurin was a really desirable combination of route quickness, separation quickness. He has vertical speed and explosiveness. To me, the way they used him, too, I found interesting. He, was, he He's a movement receiver. You want to get him the ball on the move to take advantage of his vertical speed and his quick transition from receiver to run after catch. Uh, but, boy, he's hes a really impressive guy, and he's tough and competitive because he's not a big guy, but there's a competitiveness to him that you really like.
1: Yeah, and you talked about uh, – you know we watched all of his targets. You talked about the matchup with him and Darius Slay. Um, You know, watching all the the plays from that game, you know, I went back and just studied that game just to get a sense of that matchup. And I don't believe they matched up on every single play, but you did see him travel uh, for a majority of the game, it felt like, um, with McLaren. What were some of your takeaways from watching that matchup last year?
0: I believe it was 19 snaps, if memory serves me correctly. And uh, I thought that – both players had some some good snaps, and and uh, it, it was a good matchup. I thought Slay was better impressed, press than he was in off. I don't know what your thoughts were I remembering it. Um, so you know, I'm real anxious to see. Ah. I have to believe that matchup's happening on Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, and, and whether it happens on every play, that you know, that it never works out exactly because obviously I think you're going to see McLaurin on the move a lot. He doesn't just line up outside. He's predominantly their boundary X, the single receiver to the short side of the field, but they also move him around quite a bit. We've seen him line up in the slot, uh, whether it's the conventional slot to twins or the inside slot to trips. Uh, I think we'll see him in, in motion as well because you want to get him free access because he can burst off the line of scrimmage he's an explosive guy and he can go from zero to 60 in a heartbeat when you say free access just let, let our listeners know what, what do you mean by that where you're not pressed where you have room off the snap when the ball snap you have room to get into your route without any kind of uh, disruption by a corner and that happens a lot more often obviously when a receiver goes in motion so what are you most excited to see about with this Eagles
1: secondary? I mean, obviously the addition of Darius Slay, Jalen Mills making the move to safety. Um, you know, obviously, we're not going to see Will Parks uh, this week because he uh, got put on a short-term injured reserve yep. uh, coming into the year. But uh, what, what excites you most about getting ready to watch this Eagles secondary in 2020?
0: I'm fascinated with Jalen Mills because, you know, I've I've had the opportunity. You know what I do, Fran, is I, I see pretty much every team. And when they signed Will Parks, I really liked Will Parks' tape in Denver. And I thought he'd be the replacement for Malcolm Jenkins. And obviously, Jalen Mills is the replacement for Malcolm Jenkins. And we'll see how the season plays out. But so I'm really curious to see how Mills Fills that role. Um, there's been a lot of talk, and then you're there in the building. I'm not, but there's certainly been a lot of talk, and you would know that the Eagles are going to play more man coverage when you get someone like Darius Slay, who's capable of matching up to any receiver in the league with his skill set and traits. Um, and certainly with Avanti Maddox who I really like the player, but because he's short, you're you're probably not looking to match him up to 6'3 receivers uh, unless you're forced to. So I'm curious with Mills matching up. We know he's a corner, but he'll have to match up to tight ends who are bigger and more physical, and Mills is a competitive, feisty guy. But I'm just real curious to see how Jalen Mills plays out at safety. Now, as you know, he did play some safety at LSU, so yep. he's not, it's not foreign to him to play this position.
1: Yeah, and for that reason, Greg, I feel like he's been really impressive uh, this summer. You know, watching Brilliant. him every day, um, you know, he just – it does not seem like he's out of place. He's made plays on the ball every day, uh, red zone, one-on-ones. He's looked good against the tight ends. I mean, he, he's had a, a pretty strong showing here this summer. I'm, I'm excited to see him, uh, you know, once things are live here this Sunday against Washington. Uh, It's going to be interesting to see how they deploy these guys. You know, you talked about the matchup with Maddox and, um, you know, things of that. nature. It's going to be just really interesting to see. And I think it'll change from week to week, which I think looking at this group of Washington weapons, you know, we talk about McLaren, we've talked about Gibson and, you know, the kind of Swiss Army knife he can be. What are your thoughts on the rest of this group? I mean, they, they signed Dontrell Inman from the L.A. Chargers. Uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on Inman. We saw a little bit of Steven Sims last year as a, uh, a slot weapon, as an undrafted free agent. They drafted Antonio Gandy-Golden as well out of Liberty. Interesting to get – just get your thoughts on, on those three guys and how you feel they can impact this Washington receiving court.
0: Yeah, Edmund's a guy that I've always liked, to be honest with you. I mean, he's he's played with a lot of teams. Uh, he's not explosive, which is why he's moved around. But I always thought he was a really refined route runner, and I'm surprised that he's moved around so much. Um, but he could well be the, the starter opposite McLaurin on the outside for Washington. Uh, we'll see where Antonio Gandy-Golden fits into this right now. Um, it's certainly not a team that has a ton of tight end. So they're really going to have to rely on McLaurin and Whatever else the, the, the wideout brings, it could be Inman, maybe it's Gandy Golden. Sims is predominantly, I think, uh, I don't know, is he the slot guy? He's certainly a guy you can line up anywhere in your formation. And that brings us back to uh, Antonio Gibson, who I guess we could also see split. We could see J.D. McKissick. I was just going to bring him up, yep. Who spent, you know, when he was with Seattle, he lined up as a split receiver quite a bit. So you could see them take those kinds of players, Gibson, McKissick, and use them as split wide receivers depending on down and distance yeah i think just that's
1: the that would be the idea i feel if you're if you're washington you're trying to take pressure off Dwayne haskins and and the way to do that is really kind of mix things up uh with the different shifts with the different pre-snap motions uh the backfield actions with all these you know quote-unquote uh positionless multiple you know versatile players all those skill sets you've got uh with mckissick with mclaren with Steven Sims, um, just find different ways to uh, serve as window dressing to create some easier throws for Haskins off of play action, in particular. Um, I, I got to think that that's going to be that's going to be the core of their game plan, right? I mean, that's the idea of what we've seen from uh, Scott Turner in the past.
0: Yeah, and I think they'll be very big on on rit- the rhythm game because yeah. they're going to want. One- him to be a ball distributor they're going to want the ball to come out to players who have yak ability run after catch ability Gibson Sims players like that get the ball in the hands of those kinds of players who can run after catch that was what
1: he was at and talking about Dwayne Haskins that's when he was at his best at Ohio State right it was just like as a ball distributor get the ball out quick uh, and let his guys do work.
0: I mean, How many times did we see him throw screens or shallow crosses shallow to pass cross. Campbell? No question. I yeah. mean, that was a major part of their offense. I think you'll see a lot of the same kinds of things. Hmm. G-
1: Greg, you know, the starting tight end is in Washington these days.
0: Who will be the starting tight end in Washington, Fran? Logan Thomas. Yes. Who I thought would be a quarterback in the NFL. That's,
1: so did I. And he's, yeah. uh, he's now made, obviously he's made the transition over the last few years to the tight end position, Um, yeah, it seems like he's had a good camp, you know, for all yep. intents and purposes. Uh, all the buzz uh, out of Washington has been um, that he has had a good rapport with Dwayne Haskins and that he's going to be the number one guy. Uh, it's going to be really interesting. I mean, he, look, he's a very athletic kid, a big-bodied kid. Um, we'll see. It's, uh, that, that's going to be a, kind of an interesting matchup to be able to watch. Just another, just another like, wild-card player. It, look, could that completely flame out? Sure. But with the athletic potential guy that big and who's been at the tight end position now for a few years, I'm interested to see what Logan Thomas looks like as the number one guy on that depth chart.
0: And, you know, I've seen him through the years in various places he's been. He was in Buffalo. There's times where he's looked pretty good at tight end. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I guess he hasn't quite worked out yet, but I thought Jeremy Sprinkle had a chance to be a solid tight end in this league not a big time tight end you know we're not talking top five but one of those guys who could catch the ball a bit and also be a pretty solid blocker and obviously he's going to get meaningful snaps as well
1: yeah I, I think so um, let's get to that offensive line because I, I feel like that's uh, the if, question
0: Fran yeah, that's the it,
1: question Mark if, you, if you're Washington I mentioned you're trying to take pressure off Haskins but you're also trying to take pressure off that offensive line and all those things we talked about with making it simple for Haskins, also apply, namely, to the left side of that offensive line. I feel like that's where the question yeah. marks are. Um, you have Morgan Moses still at right tackle. Brandon Scherf at right guard. That's a pretty good right side of the offensive line. Chase Roulier at center uh, is a proven starter, athletic kid. Um, Scherf, I think, is one of the best offensive linemen in the league, one of the best guards for sure uh, in the NFL, in my opinion. Then you go to the left side, and Wes Martin uh, was drafted as, a, I believe, a fourth-round pick last spring, um, so two springs ago in 2019. The plan was that he was going to be a starter right away didn't quite work out for him as a rookie Um, but then look they brought in Wes Schweitzer okay it's going to be a competition this summer new coaching staff Wes Martin took over and was the as it seems to be the number one guy at left guard so that's your left guard then at left tackle they didn't have Trent Williams last year they played Donald Penn there but Jaron Christian former third round pick out of Louisville was kind of waiting in the wings was a raw kid hadn't played a ton of, of football and they took him in the third round because of his tools and now it seems like he's going to be the guy um look very athletic uh very athletic really light feet he had 35 and a half inch long arms uh huge hands i mean looked the part now it's a matter of all right let's find out if this guy can play and that's kind of where they're at right now with jaron christian
0: and i agree i mean he's very athletic kid. i remember watching him coming out of louisville and you just love the tools he had really light feet um And you just, you know, look, they have to give Christian and Martin a shot. They were third and fourth round draft picks different years, but they're young players. And, you know, which gets back to another reason why I think you're going to see a lot of quick game and a lot of screens and a lot of things where the ball gets out of of Haskins' hands quickly. Obviously, when it gets to be third and nine, the whole situation is different. But ideally, uh, you know, no team wants to be in a lot of those long-yard situations. Uh, So I think you'll see – them try to throw the ball uh, when they want to throw the ball to get Haskins comfortable and then work the run game.
1: Uh, to me, the, that is the – if you're looking at the, what, is, what is a key matchup for the Eagles and where, like, this could be a game-changing matchup. Yes. It's that Eagles defensive line against the Washington offensive line. Uh, You know, I've talked a lot on this podcast about how impressive the defensive front has looked here in camp. Now it's okay. Is that because it was against a a younger group of of backup offensive linemen uh, for much of the the summer here, uh, you know, at at the Novacare Complex? Or is this defensive line really that disruptive, that dominant? And I feel like with a healthy Fletcher Cox, a healthy Malik Jackson leading the way on the inside, I'm excited to see this group. We know what Brandon Graham can be. Um, Josh Sweat really came on in the last couple of weeks in camp, uh, playing with the first team unit on the right side uh, with Derek Barnett injured. Excited to see what those guys can, can bring. So let me ask you this question. I'll, I'll kind of start you off here because I, I mentioned a bunch of names there. Malik Jackson, give Eagles fans a, a little bit of a refresher because um, he missed you know, most of the season last year. He missed uh, everything after the first game. What kind of player is Malik Jackson when he's at his best?
0: He's long. He's athletic. He can play both D end and D tackle rush the quarterback from either spot. He's probably at his best inside working against guards. Uh, but I think he's, he's a pretty complete defensive tackle. When they made that signing last year, I was really, really pleased Uh, because I remember there wasn't a lot of talk about Malik Jackson and that signing just seemed to come out of nowhere. And I thought it was a really, really good signing. Mm. Um, I thought he was a really good player in Denver early on, and then he you know, moved to Jacksonville. Um, I think you could make the argument that when you look at this Eagles defensive line, if everybody plays well what, and, and plays to what they're supposed to be, it's one of the best in the league, and, and, and it's pretty deep. I mean, they've got a lot of depth on that D-line. So to me, this is a game where the Eagles' D-line has to dominate mm-hmm. because they're better than the O-line of, of Washington, and they, they're going to have to dominate this game.
1: Yeah, I, I think when you look at what are the individual matchups, obviously we know that the, the Eagles defense, they'll move guys around a little bit. Uh, you know, Fletcher Cox against Brandon Scherf, that's, I feel like that's the matchup we'll typically see that would put a Malik Jackson up against a Wes Martin. Uh, you know, and look, I, I think from what we've seen from Isaac Sayamala throughout this career, we can surmise that Isaac Sayamalo, very competent starting guard, if not a very good starting left guard. Um, and Malik Jackson has had a really good camp against Isaac. So just seeing him against a inexperienced second-year guy in Martin, I think is going to be a really interesting matchup. And then when you look at Josh Sweat, or if Derek Barnett is able to come back as well, uh, but looking at Josh Sweat, I'm excited to get your thoughts on what you saw from him and his development from year one to year two last year. I'll tell you, man, he's looked even better here this summer. Hopefully that's a good sign of things to come.
0: Well, he came out of high school as a big-time prospect, one of the best in the country. And the big issue with him, and I remember watching him in Florida State, and two things stood out. Number one, he was always in a four-point stance, which nobody is in the NFL, (laughs) certainly not to rush the quarterback. And number two, he had that leg injury, and it always seemed like he was favoring it. And there were times where I watched him as an eagle where I thought he was favoring it as well. But I think he's actually got a lot of talent. And I'm really curious to see now as he continues to progress – And he'll be part of that rotation. He'll be a meaningful part of that rotation. He can rush the quarterback. Um, He's he's an interesting guy because he's one of those guys, and and I'm curious if you feel the same way. I don't think you watch him and go, wow, look at the way he moves. But then he just seems to move pretty well. You know, he's not a splash player, but I think he's a really solid player, and he's a good pass rusher. For a guy that big. You know, because he's a big kid. I mean, yeah. To move as well as he
1: does is impressive. And he's had a couple of those, like, whoa moments uh, right. here this summer. Um, interesting to get your thoughts here as well. With Malik Jackson looking as good as he has, and obviously next to Fletcher Cox and all that, I think when you look at those two guys, and then you throw in a Javon Hargrave, who not, did not practice during training camp due to an injury suffered earlier in the summer, I think a lot of Eagles fans say, all right, well, what are the ways that you can get, three defensive tackles on the field at one time. And I'm interested to get your thoughts. Is there a way in your mind that you can create situations for all three of those guys at once?
0: Well, we've seen Fletcher Cox line up at defensive end at times. Malik Jackson can certainly line up at defensive end. You know, I think Jim Schwartz likes to line up with multiple fronts, particularly when you're in your sub, and uh, whether it's nickel with five DBs or dime with six DBs, I think he's a multiple front defensive coordinator, and I think you'll see that. We've seen Fletcher Cox numerous times, Go even going back to college in Mississippi State, where he lined up at defensive end. Shoot, I remember watching him in Mississippi State rush the quarterback at the end thinking, God, this guy could even play DN in the NFL. Uh, So I think you'll see that. I think you'll see a lot of multiple front looks, um, as I said, out of their sub fronts. And you could easily do that. Malik Jackson, as I said, can do that as well. And I kind of wonder, too, like if you, you go back, the Eagles have been over the last couple of years like a big
1: uh, user of like the proponent of the, um, the diamond front. Right. The five over five looks. Yeah, and I kind of. Front. Yeah. And I think when you look at that front, essentially it's one on one matchup. So you want to get your your best pass nice. on the field. Right. So like if, if, those, if those are the three D tackles, like get all three of those guys on the field and say, all right, you beat the center and the two right guards. And let's let's figure this out.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the plan when you line up in that diamond front five across because it pretty much dictates from a protection standpoint one-on-one. And, and obviously you can't change your protection in the middle of the play. So you get the one-on-ones, and that's what you're looking for. You know what you're going to get.
1: Yeah, and I think, honestly, we can make this transition now uh, to the other side of the football. So Washington's defense against the Eagles' offense, I think when you look at this Washington defensive front,
0: that's really think,
1: good too. <laughs> yeah, it's really good too. And I feel like you're gonna see a lot of the similar stuff, right? Because you've got they go three deep at D tackle with Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, Matt Ionitis, all three. And by the way, Tim Settle, no spot Tim Settle either. is a good player. Yeah, no, so no question. And that's what they say. I feel the same way about Hassan Ridgway, who's the fourth D tackle uh, for the Eagles. I think both of these teams go four deep at D tackle, and then you look at Washington as well you got Ryan Kerrigan, Montez Sweat, Chase Young, you. uh, Jordan Brailford, I've heard, has had a good camp. Uh, James Smith-Williams, the kid from the pass rusher from NC State, I've heard, has a, had a good camp. They have Ryan Anderson there as well. So, very deep defensive front. Um, how, how do you look at this group overall? You know, who is it that stands out most uh, in your mind from this group?
0: I love Daron Payne. He's one of my favorite players. For a man that size, the way he moves, um, I, you know, Jonathan Allen's a good player too. Obviously, they're both from Alabama. I like Payne more. Um, you know, watching Payne, and and I don't know if he'll ever get 15 sacks. That's irrelevant to me. But the way he can move and bend with his flexibility for a defensive tackle, I think's really interesting. Um, You know, the other thing, too, with Ron Rivera there now and with uh, Jack Del Rio, I think we saw Ron Rivera last year in Carolina do a lot with his fronts using uh, multiple people, three DNs. He could certainly do that here. use a lot of multiple stunt concepts. There were times he lined up in what looked like three, four fronts in Carolina. So I think you'll see a lot of different things. We know Ryan Kerrigan who in this quote unquote four, three front is now lining up at DN. He's been a three, four outside linebacker and a base for a long time. And obviously, you know, rushes the quarterback in, in, in a sub, but they've got a lot of different pieces as well. Players that can line up in different spots and, and we'll see about chase young, very, very talented kid. You know, really, uh, really looks the part, really good quickness and explosive athlete.
1: Yeah, I mean, Young missed a chunk of camp at the beginning due to a hip injury. Um, Seems to come on like gangbusters in the back end uh, of camp. And and from all reports, it seemed to have a strong summer uh, to close out uh, the abbreviated training camp um it's gonna be interesting to see how they use all three of these guys right because uh you know obviously you have an established guy a locker room guy and Ryan Kerrigan who's still a very good player uh Sweat who I thought showed really good flashes last year um and, and from all reports one of the best players in the entire training camp this summer um Montez Sweat seemed to be making plays every single day I thought you saw a pretty advanced pass rush plan for a young player last year in Washington really good long arm move wants to get inside your pads you know, for Jason and now Jason Peters, it was announced uh, on Monday from Doug Peterson he will be making the move back to left tackle. So that is the matchup, I guess. If Sweat is coming off the defensive uh, right side, he will be matched up against Jason Peters, Lane Johnson if healthy because uh, he's been battling that lower body injury, going up against Kerrigan or Chase Young as well uh, on that right side.
0: Yeah, and I think you'll see Chase Young as well. You know, lining up against Jason Peters and yeah, you know, Jason Peters did he's at this point he's the Eagles best option at left tackle. He had an up and down year a year ago. Uh, We'll see how he is this year. You know, again, now if you start looking at the Eagles offense, I think because of injuries, a wide receiver with Rieger out, um, I think you'll see a lot of quick game. I think you'll see a lot of two tight ends. Look, down the stretch last year when they won those final four to make the playoffs, they played with two tight ends over 50% of their snaps. It would not surprise me if that's pretty much how they see this week one matchup versus Washington. And just seeing how
1: Washington will try and match up to that, I, I think will be fascinating. Um, and we can get into kind of get into some of that a little bit <clears throat> here in a minute. The one guy I feel like we we haven't talked about yet is Jonathan Allen. Uh, and, you know, and he's gotten a lot of pub, you know, because he's been a top fifteen pick. He came from Alabama. I feel like he gets even a little bit more pub than Payne. I agree with you that I kind of like Payne a little bit more, but Allen, a, a very well rounded player. That yeah. I'm interested to see. Like now that he's sliding inside as more of a three technique. Um, you know, on a consistent basis, what he looks like from that position full time, as opposed to being kind of a four I or a five technique on base downs.
0: Yeah, I'm very curious about that. But uh, but they're both good players, Peyton and Allen. I mean, it's yep. you know, it's it's a really good front. You know, the question will be, in my view, is their linebackers because I think the Eagles will line up a ton in twelve, and and now you get into their linebacking core, which I think is. You know, I think it's a little bit of a question. I actually like what I saw from Cole Holcomb a year ago. I think he's a solid player. They brought in Thomas Davis, I think, to, because he knows Ryan Rivera's defense. He can teach the young players, including John yep. on Hamilton. Um, they brought back Bostic. Ryan Anderson, to me, is is more of a pass rusher. Right. Um, you know, I don't think, again, putting aside Thomas Davis, I don't think that they have great athleticism at linebacker. So, the only
1: guy that I feel like brings that level of athleticism and movement is a guy that they did sign in free agency this year. And it seems like seems Kevin like, Pierre Lewis. Kevin Pierre Lewis. And it seems yeah. like he's going to be get the starting nod on the weak side ahead of Holcomb this year, uh, based off, again, based off training yeah, and you camp could and be how they right. rotated guys. Um, so, tr- apparently, from, again, would be reading uh, you know, all the reports coming out of Washington. It seems like Sean Deion Hamilton has been the guy and has been the three-down player, um, you know, getting guys lined up and everything. Bostic has been in there uh, in nickel and rotating with Kevin Pierre-Lewis, similar to uh, the situation here in Philadelphia, where Nate Gary has been the three-down player through camp, and there's been a rotation with Duke Riley and TJ Edwards. It seems like it's the same kind of thing with Bostic and Kevin Pierre-Lewis with Cole Holcomb as the fourth linebacker.
0: Well, Kevin Pierre-Lewis has been with a lot of teams, and I'm surprised because I really liked him coming out of Boston College. If I recall correctly, I believe he was in the same draft with Ryan Chazier, and I thought his athleticism was pretty close to Chazier's, and I'm surprised that he hasn't been able to stick, particularly in today's NFL, where you want speed and movement at the linebacker position. So maybe he's finally found a home at this point in his career, but he is their most athletic linebacker.
1: So he would be a guy that if they're you know if they're playing man coverage, um, you know, in theory, could be matched up with like a Miles Sanders in space, in theory,
0: or a tight end. I mean, it depends, yeah. I guess, on how much man to man they're going to play.
1: Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, to me, that that's uh, something to certainly watch. Obviously, Carolina um, under Ron Rivera, heavy zone, right? I mean, that's kind of a heavy cover too. A lot of quarters coverage. Um, you know, that seemed to be the theme. I didn't. I haven't studied them but, as closely as you have over the years.
0: No, but I think they – in an ideal world, they look, everybody plays man at times. Of course, yes. But I think they're more zone-based. There was yeah. a lot of quarters. You know, I guess the big issue will be Del Rio and, and Rivera, who's going to make those calls because I think mm. with Del Rio you'd see some cover three. But no, but in Carolina they, they played a lot of cover four.
1: When Del Rio was last in Oakland, I mean, it seemed like they, they were running more of like the Seattle stuff with um I'm trying to think of the defensive coordinator at the time. Um, but it seemed like they were pl- running more in terms of like that idea. Has that been – Del Rio's identity, more of a cover three single high uh, over the course of his career?
0: I think so. Yeah, I can't remember it, you know, in detail, but I I think that, yes. But I think bottom line is, I think there'll be more zone-based than man-based.
1: Yeah, which will be, I mean, that's kind of interesting in this matchup when you talk about uh, what the Eagles bring in terms of the pass catchers. Obviously, Deshaun Jackson uh, returned in the lineup. Has looked good this summer. Uh, excited to see what he looks like on the field back in this Eagles offense. You mentioned Jalen Rager uh, kind of nursing that upper body injury. Um, so we'll see what uh, if he's able to go. It doesn't seem that way, but we'll see uh, if he's able to go. But, um, you know, when you've got J.J. white Whiteside, who – Greg, he's had had a nice summer, man. Um, He he looks a little bit looser athletically, a little bit more refined as a route runner. He's caught pretty much everything uh, thrown his way. He's had a couple drops here and there. But uh, overall, I think Artega Whiteside has looked good. Greg Ward in the slot. Uh, John Hightower has had a nice camp i um, excited to see these guys, uh, kind of a new look uh, pass, especially from the end of last season. It's going to be a, a lot of new pass catchers uh, for Carson Wentz.
0: Well, I'm excited to see Hightower. I, I liked his tape coming out of Boise. I, I made a note when I, you know, do my evaluations that I thought he was an ascending talent. I thought he needed to get stronger. He's thin, uh, and, and we'll see how that plays out once the regular season starts. But he's an explosive kid, and I'm real anxious to see. I don't know, you know, how many snaps he'll get. Who knows that? I mean, obviously with Rieger out, we don't know. Um, but, uh, the, Ortega white side uh, situation is interesting because obviously he was a second round pick and they didn't get much out of him last year. And we know he, he had some struggles in making the transition, but there's no way that a wide receiver is a bust after one year. So we do have to wait and see on that. What are your thoughts?
1: I feel like we're past the point of when we're talking about Carson Wentz of, Oh, well, how do he look in camp? You know, what did he complete? How many passes did he complete? You, we're, we're like try, at this point. I feel like Carson Wentz is like established as one of the uh, best quarterbacks in the NFL. One of the most, ta- first, certainly one of the most talented quarterbacks in the NFL coming into this year, Press Taylor uh, named as pass game coordinator. The team brings in, uh, they bring back Marty Mordenwig. They bring in Rich Scangarello, uh, Interested to get your thoughts just on Carson and this past game offense uh, transitioning here into 2020. What, what do you think um, you're expecting to see here uh, when they take the field here Sunday?
0: Well, what I would say with Carson, and you know how much I like Carson Wentz, and by the way, in talking to a lot of coaches this summer, I, I had I heard a lot of coaches tell me that they thought after Mahomes that Wentz was the most talented quarterback in the league. Mm. So, I mean, I don't think there's a question about Carson Wentz's talent. I think one of the main things that you you're continually working with him on, and I think it's important, is – he's much more of a playmaker type of quarterback, both throwing from the pocket and with his outstanding secondary action ability than he is kind of a nuanced, subtle pocket passer. And I think what you always want to work on with him is to get him to be as consistent as he can possibly be, snap after snap from the pocket. Um, I think he's got a playmaking mindset. I think he's really good at that. Uh, I think he showed last year down the stretch in the final four games that when he has to play sort of within structure and, and, and tightly rhythmic, that he's more than capable of doing that but I think it's something that they continue to have to work on. And if they can get him to do that, I think you're dealing with a guy who can be absolutely great.
1: Yeah, He's certainly I mean, every day. It seemed in camp, he would make a throw. That makes like, all right, like, yep, there, there's Carson once again. Like, you know what I mean? Like, but it, where I, I it, this summer felt a little bit different where we weren't talking about, Oh, how does he look coming off an injury? How does he look here? It, what, what, you know, where is he in terms of his development? I feel this was the first summer where it just felt like, all right, like Carson Wentz is Carson Wentz. But, you know, Um, it's
0: funny you say what you said, because I feel like in the general discussion that a lot of people have forgotten about him. Yeah. You know, I think he's, I mean, I think he's a pretty darn good quarterback, you know, then you start getting into lists, which, you know, I'm a big fan of. uh, Oh, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just, you know, who's better, you know, Carson Wentz is a high level NFL quarterback and, and I would expect him to have a good season. And like I said, you know i i don't view him as a totally finished product and and i think if you're being honest and fair he's not but there's certainly a ton there and he's really really talented
1: i mean pe- people our listeners can't see you like i can see you right now but i'm looking over your shoulder i feel like there's a li- that's a list of all the top quarterbacks ranked in order right behind you over your shoulder on your uh, your bulletin board in your office
0: actually it's not <laughs> but that's yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, let's get to this Washington secondary. You talked about, you know, primarily zone coverage. Um, they bring back Kendall Fuller, who they the team traded yep. to Kansas City. Uh, he ends up back in Washington in free agency this year. So he's reacquired. He's back. Uh, the team signed Ronald Darby, uh, who obviously uh, Eagles fans are well aware of. The Eagles offense very well aware of, um, you know, what he brings to the table. Jimmy Moreland. In the slot, uh, Fabian Moreau is back as a backup outside corner. Greg Stroman uh, still there. Aaron Colvin. They've got some names uh, at the cornerback. I, I think the
0: big surprise here, because they had signed Sean Davis, who they since cut, and I spoke to a Washington reporter, the big surprise in camp was Troy Apke, who's going to start at free safety.
1: Yeah, he was a, a former third-round pick out of Penn State, ripped up the combine. I actually kind of liked him on film, uh, Craig, When you're just watching him uh, on film there. He's an explosive athlete. No question. Uh, So it seems like he's going to play as the starting safety next to Landon Collins. Uh, What are your thoughts there? Obviously, like you said, at the very most, people expected, oh, it's going to be a competition between uh, Davis and Apke. Apke got all the first team reps, and that was it. I mean, he he came in with two career starts, but he's going to be the guy, it seems, this year at free safety. Well, they're a
0: team that has a defined strong safety and free safety, which a lot of teams don't love to have, but Landon Collins is a strong safety. He's not a free safety, which doesn't mean there won't be a snap or two that he doesn't play on the back end, but that's not what he is. So they have a defined situation. Landon Collins matches up to tight ends. Apke will be the free safety. Um, you know, and, and again, I think they'll play more zone, in which case Collins will probably be an underneath defender and Apke will be the post safety, uh, you know, unless they're in quarters in which, you know, they'll, they'll both be deep half players, but, um, I'm very curious to see Apke because, you know, he's an explosive athlete. You're right. He blew up the combine. He ran under a four, um, four I don't remember much of him, you know, from Washington last year. I didn't study him in detail, right. uh, but you know, he's, he's an athlete. I mean, he can cover ground, he can run. Um, so we'll see. And we'll see how the corner position plays out. Fuller will absolutely be a starter. Um, I guess Darby right now, but I, you know, Fabian Moreau, I think, still in the mix. We'll see with a new coaching staff and with this pandemic offseason we'll see how it all plays out.
1: Yeah, no question. I think that's going to be very interesting to see uh, those guys on the outside. You know, I feel like Moreland is probably established uh, as that uh, that nickel corner. I liked but, him last year too. I don't know yeah, your
0: thoughts. I, I did. He's going to be a solid slot player.
1: Yeah, and it, to me, it'll be interesting though because I feel like uh, I liked him in, in man coverage. I'm interested to see him in more of a zone look this year and see uh, you know how he performs in that kind of a scheme.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a defense that's, I think they're, first of all, their defensive front's really good. Uh, Washington's linebacker core has some questions, as we know, and so does their secondary. So I think it's their back end that you you want to feel that you can attack.
1: Yeah, to me, like, you're talking big matchup on the Eagles' offense against Washington defense. It's uh, pass game related, like being able to attack that secondary. And then uh, on the Eagles' uh, offensive side, it's going to, or the Eagles' defensive side, rather. It's the Eagles' defensive line against that Washington offensive line. I feel like those are the matchups the uh, Eagles need to win uh, to get going in this game, would be my formation.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think they've, their front four's got to dominate the, the Washington offensive line. Uh, Haskins cannot get comfortable in this game. They'll try to get him comfortable with their approach. You know, it'll be a lot of quick game. It'll be, a, you know, those kinds of, of throws. They're not going to ask him to have deep drops. They'll take a shot with play action and, and for sure, with maximum protection, with a seven-man protection. But for the most part, I think they'll want the ball out of his hands. I'm curious to see, and we don't know. We just don't have – we don't know the answer to these questions what their balance will be between run and pass Hmm. Uh, i I think that scott turner in an ideal world would like to throw early and create explosive plays but he does have an offensive line issue
1: well greg we will uh be talking about this matchup one week from tonight the eagles take uh the eagles take the field sunday one o'clock we will be back monday night uh you'll probably be listening to it tuesday morning uh to recap that game excited to get this thing going with you greg Uh, Uh, i can't wait
0: fran i'm so excited just can't wait to watch the game thursday night too i'm so excited for this weekend
1: uh we've got a little bit of a taste of college football this weekend you know not a ton of not a ton of games but a handful just to kind of wet our beaks a little bit and now uh the real thing starts thursday night and then obviously sunday afternoon greg excited to talk things through with you next week man thanks so much again for joining us on the eagle eye in the sky podcast fueled by gatorade thanks Fran. Great stuff from Greg, and you can follow on Twitter just like I do, at Greg Cosell, and while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of, and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com, and you know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That's one way to support the show, but the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, or even leave us a comment. I wanted to give a shout-out today to a handful of people that went on and left questions that I wanted to make sure were answered here. Uh, Jones. 471 left us a three-star review and a comment saying that we need to focus on the game of football. There's enough depressing podcasts for people to listen to if they want to. Let us have one podcast where we can zone out and focus on something other than the harsh realities of life for 40 minutes. And. Jones, I'm sorry. Um, I'm, assuming, I'm assuming you're referring to the episode that uh, from last week that made you feel uncomfortable uh, with uh, myself and Chris McPherson. Uh, I would argue that we all need to feel a little bit more uncomfortable, at the very least, um, with everything that's going on. Uh, and one of the points that we made in that discussion was yeah, like we need to feel this way. Um, you know, And I don't know what else uh, more to say about it. So I'm sorry that you uh, didn't like that episode. I would say that we talk about football 99% of the time here on this podcast. We, talk, we spend about 20 minutes of one episode talking about some. Some very serious topics that are a little bit more important. Um, I'm sorry you didn't like that, but I'm not going to sit silently uh, and ignore those issues either. But uh, another comment here. Better him than me left a five-star review saying he appreciated our discussion addressing the plight of black people in America and also left a question. Why are division games so close regardless of team records every year for the most part? Is it just familiarity of playing teams twice a year? Or do teams in the NFC East build their teams to compete specifically against other teams in the division? There is a different NFC East division winner every year since T.O. Something is at play. Uh, Better him than me. Great question. That stat is actually one of my favorite stats in all the NFL. Uh, a different division winner every year since 2005. I mean, that, that is insane. Um, but to answer your question, it's a little bit of everything, right? And I think a lot of what you said is exactly right. Uh, and this isn't just in the NFC East, this is in every division in football if you ask a head coach and namely if you ask a general manager they will almost always say you have to build your team to win a division I know a lot of general managers around their offices around the NFL not only do they have their own depth chart up on the wall with the magnets and the names and everything but they will have the depth charts of all of their division opponents and sometimes even a couple other teams from their conference up just so you can always have that visual of how your roster matches up with your peers with the other teams that you're competing for those playoff spots with so that is certainly a big part of it you'll see you see that all around the league uh, in terms of how teams are building their own rosters they will say well we have to beat to contend with such and such division winner or such and such team that just won the Super Bowl that's always at the forefront of team builders minds then the other part other part of it is exactly what you said when you see an opponent twice a year year over year over year if there's continuity in staff and personnel and things of that nature just think about it's not just two games it's not just oh yeah we see them two days it's that you have another full week of prep, of preparation of understanding their concepts both offensively defensively tendencies with whether it comes to play calling or just tendencies to personnel the relationships are a little bit more familiar everything that you're doing uh, in terms of that preparation is you you know it makes it a little bit more tight and i think when you're looking at uh, a game of inches right you know that football's a game of inches well when you're talking about divisional matchups it's a game of centimeters. It's, it's, it's so much closer uh, than just a normal game. And to me, that's why when, you know, people say when it's a division matchup, throw the records out and all that stuff. It's absolutely true because those teams know each other in and out. And so if you don't bring your A game in those divisional games, you know, you're more than likely you're going to come out uh, with an L. So, uh, great question there from Better Him Than Me. Last one here from Otol Boys left a five star review uh, said, How much they love the podcast. I like the signing of Trevor Williams this offseason. He has proven in his short career that he can play. Do you see him jumping guys to make this team or is he just a camp body? So, uh, look, obviously, we know, you know, uh, Final Cut Day has come and gone. He did not make the 53 man roster. Um, but to me, I think Trevor Williams kind of hurt by a lack of not just an off season where he can come in in the spring and the early summer to kind of prove himself but also the shortened roster um, where the teams had to get from 90 to 80 and he was just on the on the outside looking in because you know you have some other young players that you're trying to get a look at and try and get a sense of there's plenty of film out there on Trevor Williams there's not a lot of guesswork needed there so while you understood what he could bring and he ended up coming back to the team midway through camp you might want to t- take a look at some of the young, other young guys, and even if they don't make the 53, you want to at least want to get a sense, get them in your building, understand what they can do, get some additional NFL-quality film on those guys. So um, to me, and I've said this uh, before, it was a really competitive bottom end of the roster this year, and I think obviously a lot of that has to go uh, with trimming the roster from 90 to 80, but I just thought, I thought that a lot of the guys on the bottom end of this roster uh, really came back um, you know, and did some really good things uh, across not just in the secondary but across the board uh, on this day depth chart which was really good to see it made for some really competitive battles uh, whether it was in team drills or in one-on-ones so yeah uh, so great questions there um, from Otel boys better him than me and yes uh, even you Jones 471 real quick I want to remind you guys that uh, about our new in-season podcast schedule here at Eagles Entertainment. I told you, the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. We're now twice a week. I'll be back with Ben Fennel later this week. You can also catch Ben and I twice a week as well over on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. That will be released every Tuesday and every Thursday during the season. The Eagles Insider podcast with Dave Spadaro. That will go back to being three times a week, so you'll have your post-game show and then again on Wednesdays and Fridays. Lastly, there's the Eagles Update podcast, which you can subscribe to wherever podcasts we found. Those are going to be short little news updates that you can start your day with or you can end your day with every day, Monday through Saturday. And you can find all of these shows wherever podcasts can be found. Make sure you can go and subscribe to all of them. Now, special thanks to Greg Cosell and all of you out there for your continued support of not only this show, but all of our podcast offerings I just talked about on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade for everybody here at the Novocare Complex. I am Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you later this week.